This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the fortress of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters and this is the show that's not so much asking who's your daddy but who's your mommy oh because mommy sounds like mommy sorry when i see brendan Fraser, i just think dad bod instantly and it just makes me want to get into that dad joke mindset sure even though on this that's some great a beef prime Fraser. No, it's not. Airheads is prime Fraser. if we're going off of the hotness. Whoa, whoa, whoa. George of the jungle, sir. <laughs> Your argument is that a guy who's raised in the woods of a foreign land who speaks perfect English. Yes. <laughs> just understands how to swing from tree to tree. Like Shia LaBeouf. Good point, actually. All right, peak hotness. <laughs> George <laughs> and of the he's jungle. ripped. <laughs> he really is, though. But in this, I feel like he's covering up all the sweet, sweet muscles with all of his charm. He's just super charming, kissing all the girls who don't want him to. That's right. Oh, I forgot about that already. We'll get there. We will, because this week we are talking about 1999's The Mummy, directed by Stephen Summers, who was also the name of my high school band teacher. Not the same guy. Oh, that would have been really interesting, actually. That would have been. If he, like, hid that the whole time, like, while he's playing his flute and just goes, by the way, directed the mummy. <laughs> Surprise. While you guys were over here practicing band, I was directing Van Helsing. You gross. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, you know what we need for a franchise? G.I. Joe. Let's do it. Also, gross. He might also be responsible for this whole live-action Disney remake thing because he did the 1994 Jungle Book. I'm glad that we have someone to hold accountable finally, and it gets Favreau off the hook. It does, for sure. By a long time, too. Yes, it does. Brian, you ever seen The Mummy before? I've never seen The Mummy before. Give me your thoughts. This is a movie that came out in 1999, and I went, probably not for me. So I went about the rest of my life without seeing it, and then this week I saw it, and I was like, still probably not for me. But you know what? Not bad at all. No, it's definitely enjoyable enough, and... There's a lot of fun things that happen in this. Also, there's a lot of not enjoyable fun things to happen in this, because this is a long-ass movie, man. It is long. That is one thing that I will say. This thing takes a while to get to where it's going. But when it gets there, it's the thrill of a lifetime. <laughs> it sure is. And we'll get there to when it gets there. It's not soon. <laughs> That's a promise. <laughs> now, you've seen this before, though, right? Yeah. I've seen this whole thing a whole bunch. A whole bunch? Yeah, I don't know why or how, and I also completely forgot about the entire opening of this movie, because I feel like it's one of those that, that you catch like on TV all the time, but you oh, never yeah. ever start it when the movie starts. Like Shawshank. Exactly. But I've definitely seen the second one a whole lot more. This movie's fun. I like it. Still, I wish it weren't two hours, four minutes long. That's my only complaint. <laughs> be a good like 80 to 90 minute or... Oh, without a doubt it would be, but then we get less Frasier, even though this... I want to call him just Fraser, not Fraser. I've never known how to pronounce it properly. I don't think he does either. I think he just kind of just like <laughs> rolls with it. 
That would be, uh, you know what? In my head, Cannon, Brendan Fraser doesn't know how to say his own last name. I love it. <laughs> his family crest like, Mom? Mom? Somebody? <laughs> I want to say it, it was definitely Fraser for a long time. And then, you know, the show came along and ruined it. He's like, I got to pronounce this different. <laughs> I got to pronounce this, period. Differentiate myself. You want to just get into this movie? Because I feel like this is going to be a busy one again. Yeah, let's just get into it. We start off in Thebes, circa 1290 BC. What a year. I remember it fondly. It was the year that high priest Emotep, played by discount brand Billy Zane, arid <laughs> Voslu. Every time I see this movie, I go, that's totally Billy Zane. And then he like does one thing. I'm like, that's not Billy that's Zane. Not. He's like, oh, he turned in a different direction. I went, that's not the shape of Billy Zane's face. <laughs> no, it's not. This is Kirkland's <laughs> signature Billy Zane. Oh, boy. <laughs> Even I hear like the Kirkland signature bourbon is actually pretty good. Oh, is it? That's yeah. That's the, the word on the street. That's what all the kids are saying these days. That's right. They go to Kirkland with and they get all of their bourbon in bulk. Is that how it works? Still I with have that? No idea. <laughs> Never been to a Kirkland. So high priest Emotep engages in an affair with Anuk Sunaman, played by Patricia Velasquez, for the scene she's in. That's right. The whole scene. She is the mistress of Pharaoh Seti. Despite strict rules that other men are forbidden to touch her, these two, they're going to go at it. I like how you say despite strict rules, because the narrator of this scene just goes out of his way to say, also, no one can touch her. <laughs> like, that's the only <laughs> rule that's set in stone. It's like, ah, see that lady over there? See that guy over there? He could touch her. You can't. Don't do it. This guy, yes. This guy, no. All right. We got the rules set. We got the rules straightened out. Good. On with the narration. When Pharaoh discovers them. Emotep and Anuk Sumanaman murder him. They really do, but he like pulls apart this curtain and she's just standing there like leaning against some sort of Anubis statue type thing. Yeah. And it's like, you look guilty as all hell. Also, your shoulder makeup is smudged. <laughs> so he calls it out. He's like, hey, who, who touched that makeup on the arm? Not so much the face. Who's who touching your arm? Who touched you? And then she's like, doesn't matter. Stabby, stabby. That's right. Emotep is dragged away by his priests before the pharaoh's guards can discover his involvement, and Anuk Sunaman kills herself with the plan that Emotep will later resurrect her. Based on nothing. We because don't know he says, why. Like, I'll bring you back. Don't worry, babe. I'll bring you herself. back. It's wild. All right. Dagger to the stomach because this guy says he can bring me back. I'll trust you. Doesn't seem weird at all. Was it worth it, discount Billy Zane? We're going to find out. But during the resurrection ceremony, they're caught by the pharaoh's guards before the ritual is finished, and Anuk Sunaman's soul is sent back to the underworld. I like how you say before the ritual is finished, because she's laying there on this ritualistic slab or whatever it is, <laughs> and he's got the sword in the air, and then from way out in the distance, all these guards come like, just stab down, bud. You had no problem doing it to the pharaoh. Yeah. Just do it here. You had also, plenty of time. How does this work? Because she's dead already from the stabbing, and now you're going to re-stab. Right. While reading from a book, I you guess. read from the book, the soul goes back in her body, you stab her again, and that just, I guess, solidifies the whole deal? I don't know. So, I don't know how any of this works. I think I figured this out. Just follow along with me, all right? Okay. One stab, dead. Two stabs, alive. Three oh. stabs, dead. Four stabs, alive. Got it. So... For everyone playing with knives at home, now you know. Even number of stabs if you want them to live. Exactly. So you could send your message, but you can ritualistically bring them back just by stabbing more? What? 
This is not professional medical advice, just so we're clear. Would be on Joe Rogan's show. <laughs> no, I definitely read something about it. You saw that clip too, huh? Sure did. Yeah, what well, that guy's a fucking dick. Let's move on. <laughs> Emotep's priests are mummified alive, and Emotep has his tongue cut out and is buried alive with a swarm of flesh-eating scarabs. It's not what you want. It's not an ideal Tuesday. And it's not even that he's just buried alive. Like, they put him into a sarcophagus, and then they lock it. And then they put him into another sarcophagus and lock that. Double sarcophied. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I like the conviction in that. That's uh-huh. correct. <laughs> I see no holes in whatever you said. The ritual curses him to become an immortal walking plague if he's ever resurrected, unleashing a wave of destruction and death upon the entire world. Stakes. I guess they're stakes. It seems like he got a pretty sweet end of the deal. I mean, he's buried alive with flesh-eating scarabs and double sarcophagi. Well, yeah, but besides that, it's oh, one of those, that, like, sweet deal. if you come back, you're going to be all-powerful and kick everyone's ass. That is a bold move to put on your enemies, isn't it? It's just end the guy. That's it. Hard stop. One stab. Let's just stab him an odd number of times and just be done with it. <laughs> No, 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 Hank, you can't stab him. That'll make it even. <laughs> Can I stab him twice? Go home, Hank. <laughs> Who invited you, Hank? That's not even an Egyptian name. What are you doing here? <laughs> Emotep is buried beneath a statue of the Egyptian god Anubis and kept under strict surveillance by a group known as the Medjai, descendants of Pharaoh Seti's palace guards. And then we cut to 1923. Another good year. AD. That's right. We. Flipped it. A whole mess of soldiers led by Rick O'Connell, Brendan fucking Fraser. Even you had that hesitation on the last name of like, what should I say? I keep trying to like balance it somewhere in between an S and a Z sound. Oh, Brendo? Perfect. Brendan Fraser. Fraser? Fraser. Sounds like a boxed wine when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'd drink it. Did you ever pull the bag out of the box? Give it a good slap? Yep, slap the bag, buddy. Got to. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I had to make sure I wasn't the only one, because that would be weird. If this is like be- the way I found out that that's the weird thing that I, I've done. Everybody's like, bag. what are you talking about? No, And now it's just me and you just slapping bags. <laughs> what if it's just the two of us? It's less weird, but also weird. Marginally. <laughs> <laughs> it's all how you look at it. It's relative. Yeah. So Rick and all these soldiers, they're making a final stand at Hamanoptera against the Medjai warriors. The soldiers are massacred, and O'Connell makes a final retreat into the city, only to be cornered by a group of the Medjai. But they're like, wait a minute, he's standing underneath that statue. Let's get out of here, because Emotep's evil presence manifests itself by, you know, throwing sand at Brendan Fraser. But this is confusing, because it's their job to protect that area, the area that he's gone into. And now that he's in that area, they're scared of the area they're supposed to protect. So they leave and just go, surely nothing bad's going to happen here. (laughs) Oh, no, he'll be fine. I mean, dead. I don't know. What are we we looking for here? What do we want? What's our outcome? I think the statue we want's over there. Come on, everybody. (laughs) Oh, no, the sand is moving on its own. Let's leave. (laughs) Scary sand. Do you guys hear that crazy score in the music that says something ominous is happening? Just some ancient god kicking over Brendan Fraser's sandcastle. That's right. And he would act the hell out of being upset about it. 
Oh, yeah. Over the top. The only way Brendan Fraser knows how to act. He doesn't even know that the top exists. No, there is no ceiling for him. He just keeps going. The top is his floor. We start over the top with Brendan. That's right. And now I want to see him in a remake of Over the Top. But that's an entirely different thing. That is entirely different. And I'm with you. So the Medjai decide to leave O'Connell, certain that he's just going to die in the desert. They're like, you know what? Let him go. They seem like really sure of it, too, because they even say, like, should we go shoot that guy? And they're like, nah, the desert's going to do the rest. All right. Like, it's our job <laughs> to kill him, though, right? Yeah, but let's not. It's been a long day. This is a lot of choices made by people who are supposed to kill other people. Three years later, Evelyn Carnahan, played by Rachel fucking Weiss, is a clumsy librarian and expert stilt walker. Is she, though? Well, she's going to walk around on these stilts slash a ladder and knock over a whole bunch of bookshelves. And my question is, who set these up like dominoes? That's not even my big question about it, because, yeah, that's an issue. I'll give you that. But who said, square room, let's make a circle of bookshelves? <laughs> or at the very least, a horseshoe shape. And then I guess the doctor man who runs this library, whatever this is, this Museum of Antiquities in Egypt with its very English name written on the door. <laughs> oh, he comes in and he should be more upset that all of his books are just all over the place now and all of his bookshelves are knocked over. That seems like a nightmare. He seems pretty upset. I mean, he's comparing her to biblical plagues. He's like, your very existence is worse than all of the plagues. Yeah, but his anger goes away pretty quickly. Well, it's Eric fucking Avari, so I trust his choices. Do you know? <laughs> yeah, he was in Mr. Deeds. That's where you're going to draw the trust line, is Mr. Deeds. You better believe it. Okay. <laughs> I love this guy. I love everything he does. Have you ever seen the DVD menu for Mr. Deeds? Probably, but not recently. How it's just John Turturro bouncing around, hiding, and jumping out of places? <laughs> yes. Very, very sneaky. Yes. Watch that bad boy on repeat. You're in for a good time. <laughs> that sounds excellent. Or just a type. Slap the bag while you watch the Mr. Deeds DVD intro. The menus. And then have your friends over and wrap them in toilet paper. What a night. That is just... Perfect. You don't need to play the actual movie. Just <laughs> hey, you guys want to come run. over and watch the Mr. Deeds DVD menu while we <laughs> slap the bag and wrap each other in toilet paper? Uh, Frank, why don't you sit down? Intervention. Uh, you okay, bud? It's my idea of an ideal Saturday night. I don't know what you're talking about. Kind of want to hang out with Frank in this situation. Doesn't sound that bad. You know, there are worse ways to spend your time. <laughs> and at least Frank's an original. That's true. But here, you do have the doctor man telling Evie, I don't care how long it takes you or how you do it, clean up this room where you knock down conservatively 20 different bookshelves that were completely <laughs> stocked with books, and these are going to be way too heavy for you, but do it. And yeah. do it now, I guess? Figure it out. You're lucky your parents are dead because, oh boy, would I be angry. See? He's not that angry. He is and isn't, and it concerns me. We'll get me. there. We'll get there. We'll, I'm calling it. We'll get there. Wait till right. we're in his office. We'll get there. After he's done yelling at her, kind of, her brother Jonathan, played by John fucking Hannah, where the hell has this guy been? I don't know, but he is too good for us all. He is. Also, this movie does some pretty outlandish things. The least believable thing is that he and Rachel Weiss are related. There's a real weird vibe there, and I don't care for it. <laughs> 
And it's mostly because it's one of those vibes where they have to go out of their way to keep reminding the audience that they're brother and sister. Oh, with yes. dialogue yes. lines. <laughs> and it's like, oh. all right, you clearly are flying a little too close to the sun with this relationship if you have to constantly remind us that they're siblings. Yeah, agreed. Jonathan brings her an intricate box that holds a map, and the map seems to point the way to the lost city of Hominoptera. Hey, that's where we just were three years ago. That is where we were three years ago, and it's where all of the wealth of Egypt was supposedly stored. So, like, cool. We got a map to the place with all the gold and money and whatnot. Perfect! So they go to show Dr. Bay, again, the, the guy who runs the museum or whatever this place is. Yeah, who just got his domino library kicked over. And he's like, Hominopter's a myth, you crazy kids. And he accidentally burns the map. <laughs> it's not great. And as a person who has never seen this movie before, I went like, wait a minute. That's Eric fucking Avari. And that was lazy, the way they just made him burn that map. And that's another thing that I think we're going to get to later. Well, it was lazy how they did it. And what was lazier was his reaction to doing it was he doesn't even feel bad. And also, he should be still furious at Evie saying, I don't want to talk about your stupid doodle paper here. Go pick up the bookshelves. But it's forgotten about for forever now. But he's just like, oops, I made a boo-boo. I I burned your map. Sorry, guys. Bye. Conveniently burned the only corner that actually points to where they need to go. Super convenient. And you know what? This is exactly how I felt during the scene, but we'll get there. All right. Jonathan reveals that he stole the box from an American who's currently in prison. So they go visit him to ask him about Hominoptera. And it turns out this American is Rick O'Connell. Right. How about that? It's the guy we just saw who was there and now he's here and he's got long hair. That's how we know time has passed. Time has passed. Yeah, it's like they're introducing characters so they can bring them together for a story. They somehow made a bottle movie out of this very <laughs> large space that they're playing and that is Egypt. You have all of Egypt. What are you going to do? Four characters. Okay, let's go. Steven Summers doesn't want to stretch it that much for being just a band teacher. That's fair. Rick tells them that he knows the location of the city. He's like, yeah, your map's burned. Whatever. I know how to get there. And then he tells Evie that he'll reveal the location of Hominoptera to her if she saves him from being hanged. Also, he kisses her in that, hey, man, you can't do that kind of way. It is a, hey, man, you can't do that kind of way. And his reasoning later on, and we'll get there, is thought I was going to die. Kind of figure I had nothing to lose. Doesn't make it okay. (laughs) <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> if anything, that makes it like a like a character thing, not even just like a spur of the moment. That's like that's ingrained in his person. Yep. And he goes through a lot of near death moments, so you gotta imagine all the kissing he does. That's true. He must kiss so many people. So many people. Speaking of kissing people before you think you're gonna die, I have an actual IMDB trivia fact. You know the rules though. I do know the rules. The rules are Brian's allowed to read one. But then he has to read one that was submitted by myself or one of our listeners. Because now we do have listeners who have submitted actual IMDb trivia facts. And it is wonderful. We're slowly taking over, man. IMDb is not going to know what hit it. But first, this is an actual IMDb trivia fact. Brendan Fraser nearly died during a scene where his character is hanged. Rachel Weiss remembered he stopped breathing and had to be resuscitated. Is that all she remembered about it? Apparently, according to this fact. Why would you actually hang the guy? Hang a stuntman. They're expendable, <laughs> right? I guess. I don't know. Why wouldn't you have like a, like a harness on him or something? 
That seems ridiculous. Let's actually hang him. That's a, <laughs> it'll look more real if we do it for real. He keeps saying that he's a method actor. So, uh, you know, we stabbed that girl at the beginning for real. Let's actually hang Brendan Fraser here for real. Let's just do it. Now we can say we got it, you know? <laughs> we got the coverage. Now we can try it a few different ways. Perfect. It's a good thing we saved this for the last shot of the movie. <laughs> Just to be safe. Let's lead with the hanging shot. That way, if he dies, we can get a new actor and don't have to reshoot anything. That's just good production right there. That's what Knowing that, that, that if you kill your lead right up front, just replace him, you haven't wasted a film on that at all. This is perfect. <laughs> and insurance is going to cover his life even better. Boom. That's a win-win. And a loss. Because Brendan Fraser. Well, yeah, we're not gifted any of his remarkable performances after The Mummy. Nailed it. (laughs) I'll give him Doom Patrol, but that's it. Doom Patrol is really good. So now I have to do an either Dave or user submitted IMDb trivia fact. Could just call it a caped IMDb trivia fact at this point. We're all the same team here. We're taking over. I like it. A caped IMDb trivia fact. I'm going to go with the most obvious one here. The Mummy is titled The Mummy because it is about a mummy. Yep, somehow got that one approved. That was all me. (laughs) There's nothing in there that's not true. It's all completely true. I nailed it. Absolutely. And I can't believe no one submitted that beforehand. (laughs) It's right there in front of you guys. Come on. The most obvious IMDb trivia fact probably ever submitted. If that's what you want to hang your hat on, then yes. Better than hanging a Brendan Fraser on it. That's true. He had to be resuscitated. That's right, the hat, though. Can't resuscitate a hat. They're just breathing into it, and that's weird. Hats significantly less important in this movie than they were in the last three. That's very, very true, but we will get there. Evie successfully negotiates Rick's release from the prison warden, who's played by Omid Jalili, and she does this by offering him 25% of the found treasure. That's a pretty good deal. That is a really good deal, especially because he was like 50, and then they negotiated back and forth. She got to 30, and then he said 25. He undercut himself. Yeah, that's bad negotiating, but he doesn't really deal in treasure, it seems. He seems like he deals in people. That's exactly what it seems like. I believe everybody in this scene that's not him and Rachel Weiss is one of his prisoners. Not great! But the warden is going to insist on coming with them in order to protect his investment. Which is weird, because he has a lot of other investments. He's going to abandon those... prison, it seems. <laughs> you got to abandon those investments, because this place has all the treasure in Egypt. Maybe! Allegedly. Right. It's a lot like fucking an ostrich. (laughs) Yes. In this case, all the treasure in Egypt is like fucking an ostrich. Can't believe it either. (laughs) We found the situation where that is true. Hey, give your back a slap. (laughs) There it is. There it is. So they all board a ship to start their expedition to the city where they encounter a band of American treasure hunters led by famous Egyptologist Dr. Alan Chamberlain. It's played by Jonathan Hyde. I feel like Jonathan Hyde has got like a that guy face. Like you've seen he him does. before in a bunch, but you can't ever figure out where. But you're like, oh, I like that guy. Hey, I know his face from a place and I don't know where it is and I probably never will. And next time I see his face, I'm gonna be like, that's the guy with the face. And the same not guy. remember it's that he was in the guy. That guy and his face popping up being unrememberable, which is a word now. Well, there you go. New word. We did it. <laughs> Proud of that one. Put it in the dictionary. Send it to the dictionary! These American treasure hunters are also being guided by Benny, who's played by Kevin J. O'Fucking Connor. He earns the fucking heart in this movie, too. 
He does, because this this guy's doing work. He is. He was with Rick at the first scene when they're forming ranks in order to fight the Magi. And Rick's just like, hey, Benny, you're with me, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, your strength gives me strength. And then he just runs away, and, and it's hysterical. Books it. It's great. He is one of the former Legion soldiers, and he also knows the location of the lost city of Hamana. Patri- I can't get it any time. Let's just call it Mummyville. <laughs> it's just Billy Mummy just wandering around. Everyone's like, what are you doing here on this movie set in the middle of Egypt? Like, I can say Hamanoptera. I just, every time I see it, I freeze up. So Mummyville's going to work a lot better for me, I think. That is perfect. Also, don't know how that's not a thing anywhere else. Just Mummyville. Well, here's my beef. You ready for this? Mummies? Let's stop pretending that mummies and zombies are different things. Mummies are just zombies with different clothes. I feel like you're like putting George Romero on blast here for some reason. Well, he almost directed this movie, so. That's true. <laughs> and I think that gives my argument weight. I think you're absolutely right. Talk about all these classic monsters, and they're like, oh, you got zombies? You got mummies? Nope, same thing. But I think the way they get to how they are is different because with zombies, it's usually unexplained. It just sort of happens and then they find out later it's a disease or whatever it could be. Or whatever it could be. With mummies, it's just like, nah, magic. It got magic somewhere along the line. Who's to say that magic isn't just science we don't understand yet? That was very profound and I don't think you thought of that. (laughs) No, I definitely stole it from Thor. Of all people. (laughs) When I think science, I think Thor. Kenneth Branagh gave me that line. Sitting here drinking my coffee, and I'm just like, want to spike this mug right now. (laughs) Another! Another piece of gold? Nugget of wisdom? Sure, Brian, yes. (laughs) We're doing a treasure movie? Fine. I don't have any more. I just had the one. So the Americans make a bet with Rick and friends. The first crew to arrive at Mummyville wins $500. That's a lot of money. How much is it? With inflation today, it's about $8,152.11. That's a serious bet. Yeah, it is. And I feel like they didn't think of that for some reason when they did this. They're like, it's 1999. It's fine. It's not that much money. <laughs> I should probably run it for 1999, though. That's a good idea. And that's a significant difference also because it's only $4,871. But still, that's serious still, bet. Yeah. I didn't realize that that much money. Went that far in the 90s. I don't think they did either. (laughs) 500, nice round number. Put it in the script. It's just what I have on me on this boat in the 20s. That's right. Fresh out of prison. Here we go. Here's my money. While they're on this boat, Evie reveals that she is mostly interested in finding the mythical book of Amun-Ra, a golden MacGuffin book that contains all the ancient Egyptian incantations. And that was what got her interested in Egyptology as a kid. So it's like her life's purpose. I'm glad we have one. A mythical book that may or may not exist in a mythical city that may or may not exist. (laughs) Her life's work is to find this maybe. And she's not even really willing to go look for it until she has to. Yeah, she's just kind of hanging out, waiting to get a map to it. And then she goes, all right, maybe I can go look for this book. All right, time to finally live my life's purpose now that my brother found a convenient map (laughs) to exactly (laughs) what my life's purpose is. Oh, but then my boss burned it. This is going to be tough. He burned the con- the super convenient part of the convenient map. Oh, so much convenience. This is like a convenience No, it's store. less convenience now. 
That's true. I mean, the convenience in that it happened the way that it did, though, this whole movie could take place in a 7-Eleven. <laughs> fits with the dad jokes. Perfect. The boat is invaded by the Magi soldiers, and they are looking for the key and the map. They're like, what the hell's the key? We don't have a key. We just have the map. And now it's on fire, because when you fight in a boat, fire happens. <laughs> exactly. We all know it. Rick and the Americans manage to fight off the Magi soldiers, but the map is lost and the boat goes up in flames, forcing everybody to abandon ship and everybody ends up on shore. This seems lucky, I feel like, that everyone's just able to get off this boat. The people who invaded your boat presumably also jumped off this boat and presumably. are presumably also swimming to shore and the nearest one is the one that you're on. I never understand chase scenes in movies. <laughs> yeah, but... But this scene has to end, so they're not going to chase them anymore. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. They're like, that was a lot of fire. These guys aren't messing around. Let's regroup and meet them somewhere else, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Or see what the script takes us, I guess. All right, we we fought you guys, but now it's time for us to go home for the night. We'll do another scene tomorrow. (laughs) That's a wrap on this chase. Rick, Evelyn, and Jonathan are separated from the other treasure hunters, and they purchase some camels. I feel like Sala would be very proud of them. I think so, too. That this was like their choice. Instead of going for the horses, they went for the camels. We're going to get there real shortly, though. I, I don't know how fast any animals move, apparently. Yeah, I'm also in the dark on the speed of different animals. We'll get there very soon. As you talk about what's about to happen, I'm going to Google this. Luckily, Rick knows the way to the city, doesn't need the map. And their whole crew comes face-to-face with the other treasure hunters in the desert, where the path to... Mummyville is revealed by the rising sun. So these two groups, they're like, all right, we still have that $500 bet. Let's, uh, let's race. And this is also crazy because you have Rick looking at the sunrise coming up and he's standing there with his, I'm going to call it frenemy because he has the bet with him. Even yeah. though they seem awfully cool with each other because they're dressed exactly the same. They're so super chummy. They yeah. But he's staring off and he goes, look at that. It's going to point the way. It's like, don't tell them that. You have a $500 bet with them. Just take <laughs> off when the time's right. Yeah, but they're being led by Benny, and Benny knows the same thing. That's why they're meeting where they are. Yeah, but Benny's a shitbag. Benny is a shitbag. But they also promise Benny $100 of the 500 if they get there first. That's fair. And Benny will do anything for a buck. Yes, he will. So the two groups race toward the hidden city of the dead on their camels and horses. All right, so I got an answer on what's faster, because when you look at these camels run, you go, oh boy, that looks like the speedwalkers in the Olympics. And yes. it looks awkward, <laughs> and I hate it. And when you look at a horse run, you're like, that's majestic as all get up. Exactly. On equinedesire.com. That's an unfortunate URL. Horses are much faster than camels. They say the top speed of a horse is around 55 miles per hour. Wow. And the top speed of a camel is 40 miles per hour. Still, wow. That is the one that shocked me there. Yeah. 40 miles an hour on a camel. But this should be no contest. It should be. And yet. And yet. Pretty sure Evie and Rick win, though we never see how the bet is resolved. We have no clue how. No idea. It's like, hey, there's $500 running on this. I can't wait to find out who wins. You won't. Nope. Pretty anticlimactic for a long-ass scene. And that's why this movie's two hours, four minutes long, is there's a lot of nonsense scenes like this that don't mean anything. So the two groups start exploring the city in separate locations, and Dr. Chamberlain's like, what could they know? They're being led by a woman. Not great also. Meanwhile, this woman's like, yeah, that's 
that's the thing, and the stuff is underneath it, and we're just going to dig here. We're good. I got these magic mirrors. It's going to be awesome. And it is awesome. It is awesome. The Americans discover a chest between the legs of the statue of Anubis, and they have it opened by several of their carriers, but the chest is booby-trapped, and the carriers die from acid spray. And that's kind of fucked, because you have this Dr. Alan Chamberlain man who's about to open this, and he goes, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Get the, get the diggers to do it, uh, the expendable <laughs> ones, because I got a feeling that they're about to get lit up. <laughs> oh, wait, this guy's famous for booby traps. Let's get these clowns who don't have names in the credits to open it. It's a very villain move from a guy who's also kind of a good guy. I'm not sure where any of these people really stand. It's just like, we need tension before we get to the actual bad guy. Yep, and there's a lot of tension because the actual bad guy is not in a lot of this movie. <laughs> the prison warden decides to go off on his own to find some treasure, and he starts pulling these decorative scarabs off the wall, and naturally inside are living scarabs that burrow under your skin and make their way up to your brain and kill you. Now what you want? This is where I have another actual IMDb trivia fact. Oh, oh, terrific. And this is my favorite of the real ones. Okay. During the filming of the scene with the scarab crawling under his skin, Omid Jalili chose not to wear underwear for some reason. <laughs> what? A as a result, choice. his genitals kept falling out of his pants during takes as he was writhing in pain. The editor had to cut around the unintentional nudity as much as possible. However, if you watch the scene closely, you can still see some of the unintended nudity on screen for a few frames during one shot as he is screaming, help me, and grabbing at his pants. I don't want to see that, but also. Yup. <laughs> I'm so curious. I was like, do I go back and rewatch this now that I've read this IMDb trivia fact, or do I just live my life? And next time I watch The Mummy, see if I see. Next time you watch this scene, though, I mean, you're going to be sitting there, just quickly hitting the play button, just frame by frame. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to go through it frame by frame. I'm not a crazy person, but like, you're not going to not look, you know? You're going to look. It's, now that you once know, you know it's, it's there, there, you're going to look. You can't unsee it. Especially because it's an IMDb trivia fact that may or may not be real. That's true. That could be one that somebody submitted. But now I will read what I suspect is a caped IMDb trivia fact. The original working title for this film was Who's Your Caddy? The title was changed to The Mummy shortly after production began, but the title Who's Your Caddy was reused in 2007 for a feature starring Big Boy Jeffrey Jones, <laughs> Terry Crews, Finesse Mitchell, and Faison Love. Uh-huh. Can't believe they approved that one. That's wild they approved that. Uh-huh. <laughs> when I typed it out, I was like, there's just no way. And then they hit approved, and I went, what are they even doing? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have so many questions about the process at IMDb. Bunch of glue sniffers. We've said it before. Just approve it. We'll check it later if people say it's not interesting. <laughs> Oh, boy. Those idiots. I'm so happy they approved it, though. Meanwhile, Rick and Evie's team discover a tomb buried directly below the statue of Anubis. And the box that contained the map, it turns out that's the key that the, the Magi were looking for earlier. And it opens up the tomb, where they find a sarcophagus. How about that? And then suddenly, the prison warden runs by, screaming in pain, knocks himself into a wall, and dies instantly. <laughs> that's right. So it wasn't the scarab that did it. It was just the blunt force impact of wall. <laughs> wasn't scarab killed the beast. <laughs> and then we cut directly to that night at their campsites where they're like rifling through his belongings. What else are you going to do? Guy got killed by a wall. 
You're in the middle of the desert. Go see what the guy's got. Let's see what he's got in his bag. And then speak ill of the dead by keep talking about how much the guy stunk. <laughs> hey, that guy smelled bad, but look at this. I got a broken bottle of, of Glenlivet here. And then Jonathan is just downing this broken bottle of Glenlivet. Just straight to the lips. His lips are going to get fucked, man. Phrasing. But yeah, they absolutely are. Very fair. <laughs> but while everybody's having a good old time at their campsites, both groups get attacked by the Magi, who are led by a warrior named Ardith Bay, who's played by Odin Fair. And this guy is intense. Yeah, he means business for sure. So while they're going around the campsite, killing a bunch of people who don't matter, Rick managed to force a standoff with them by lighting a stick of dynamite and just threatened to blow everybody up. It's a good move. If you got the dynamite, use it. And they're like, all right, well, we don't want to blow up. We just want to kill you guys. Tell you what, there's evil in that their city you're digging through. Maybe just leave, okay? And, and we won't have to come back and kill you again. And maybe be held at dynamite point. Dynamite point. point. <laughs> and the group is like, all right, cool. So like, we warned you. Have a nice night. We're out of here. And they ride off. <laughs> we're, we're all very sleepy magi. We need to go to sleepy time now. Do not touch the city that we're supposed to be guarding for eternity. Don't you touch it while we go Betty bye. Don't do it. These guys have a history of starting the job of killing the people that are there and then just not finishing it. And these treasure hunters are going to camp directly on top of the thing they're supposed to be guarding. It's really unreal. Unbelievable. They're so bad at their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so when you survive an attack from the worst guards of all time, naturally, you get silly drunk. Yeah, I and get that's, it. That's what Evie does. Jonathan passes out because of how drunk he is, but Evie's drunk and she's learning to fight from Rick. And then she goes in to do the kiss and she passes out. It's not even that she goes in to do the kiss. She's very hung up on the kiss that Rick like forced on or the prison kiss. Yeah. She's very hung up on She's it. like, it wasn't even a good kiss earlier on the boat. And now she's like, all right, Rick O'Connell, I'm going to kiss you. And I find that to be like just so unbelievable too because- I feel like this character is giving off, like, librarian vibes. Like, oh, no, she loves books. She's never been interested in men before, and no man's ever looked at her that way, and that's why One Kiss did it. Meanwhile, it's Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss! Weiss. <laughs> I mean, come on! <laughs> We're not stupid here, movie! Yeah. It's like, we all see what's happening here. You're not tricking me. Nope! But before she can kiss him, she passes out. Which is good, also, because... Rick, I feel like, wasn't going to do the kiss. I feel like he understood the situation. I mean, he was enough. leaning into it, and he looked pretty bummed when she fell asleep in his lap. He looked like, yeah, that would happen. Like, that type of look. It, it was like a, yeah, that checks out. That tracks. Or as Brendan Fraser calls it, I acted. <laughs> I was trying to be subtle. Did it work? Did I do it? Rather than heeding the warnings of the Magi, the two groups just go right back into the, the city of the dead in, in Mummyville and working on their respective treasure hunts. Still independently, but yes. at night they kind of like have an agreement like, ah, oh, we'll hang out. We'll get drunk together. It'll be great. Right. Hey, it's nighttime. Let's try to band together and not get killed by these terrible guards. And then in the day, we'll split up and do our own thing. Rick and company open the sarcophagus, which contains the remains of Emotep, which are still juicy. Which is not what you want. You don't want juicy remains of a 3,000-year-old corpse. It's also weird that they both said juicy in unison. Yeah. Like, that was the word that came to mind, was juicy. It's better than, he's still moist. <laughs> Marginally better. 
<laughs> marginally better. <laughs> also, how did Juicy not use this in like one of their ads? Like have the mummy just walk forward and he's got like those felt pants on or those whatever pants, the velvets. Oh, and it yeah. just says juicy across the butt of the mummy. <laughs> or like juicy juice juice boxes. Be like, yeah, it's hundred <laughs> percent fruit juice. That'll really revive you. The foil hole's so good that even a mummy can do it. <laughs> or juicy fruit. Hey, this flavor of the gum lasts shorter than this guy's lifespan, for sure. When you said juicy fruit, though, my first thing that went through my head was like the Gushers commercial with the changing head. Oh, the yeah. Fruit. <laughs> Not if you just did that with a mummy instead. Just a zombie oh, wrapped in toilet paper oh. eating Gushers? Oh, Charmin. There. That's it. I mean, that oh, writes itself, though. That's absolutely. boring. Instead, let's use cartoon bears. Boring. What if they were mummy bears? <laughs> I like that a whole lot more, though. Oh, God, it changes the whole Goldilocks story pretty heavily. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's not just three bears. It's three zombie bears. <laughs> Wrapped in toilet paper. These brains are too big. These <laughs> brains are too small. These brains are just right. <laughs> the team of Americans, meanwhile, open up the chest in spite of a warning on the lid that says, hey, if you open this, you're going to die. Anybody who opens this box, going to die. And they're like, that's silly. You're a box. And they open it. <laughs> I won't let a box talk to me like that. <laughs> I'm a man in this movie. That's right. And when they open up the box, they discover the Black Book of the Dead, accompanied by the jars containing Anaxunamas. Anaxunamas? <laughs> that sounds like a storm. It's oh, actually going to be an Anaxunama hitting the coast today. <laughs> it's an ancient Egyptian priestess princess i don't know what she is combined with anonymous perfect nailed it <laughs> not, not offensive to anybody <laughs> these jars have her preserved remains her organs anonymous <laughs> that sounds like a meeting <laughs> it does doesn't it <laughs> hello my name is brendan fraser <laughs> and i'm addicted to anox what's anox it's the animal that falls around Paul Bunyan. <laughs> the dad jokes flying. I love it. You use them to ford rivers. What do you what kind of question is that? Be even better if he said, it's the fucking ox that follows around Paul Bunyan. Everyone's like, I get it. Big blue ox. Fine. Welcome to an ox anonymous. I'm only addicted to one. One ox. No need to get blue. That's right. So each of the Americans take a jar while Dr. Chamberlain takes the book. And Benny just gets out of there. He's like, nope, there's a curse written on that, on that box. I don't want to be here. I'm a coward. Bye. He's good at being a coward. Super good at it. That night, Evelyn takes the Book of the Dead from the American's tent, even though they have this nighttime truce. She's like, no, fuck that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this thing. And she finds out that the box that had the map in it, that's the key that, that fit into the sarcophagus. It also fits into the Book of the Dead. It's a very versatile key. It really is. It's like the master lock to all of Mummyville. They had one key in ancient Mummyville. <laughs> I'm so happy that they found it. So she starts reading a page aloud, accidentally awakening Emotep's mummified remains. I like how you say accidentally, because the second she finishes reading whatever she's not supposed to read and all hell starts to break loose, you have Dr. Chamberlain wake up. He's like, no, stop reading. Don't read it. Even though I read the box earlier out loud, don't read the book. How does she not know this? 
I don't know. She's like the premier Egyptologist of Egypt, too. I don't know. Makes no sense to me. And I feel like it's you're creating a, a dumb woman situation that's not necessary here. I agree. But now it's plague time, baby. Yeah, it is. A swarm of locusts invade, forcing everyone to abandon their campsites and go into the city. Not what you want. The group is then separated into smaller parties by a giant swarm of scarabs that start eating everything in their path. And the best way to get away from a scarab is to just jump away from their path onto something else. Yes. And they just seemingly forget about you. They're like, all right, this guy's not on this rock, so I will just keep going forward. Exactly. One of the Americans gets lost and is attacked by Emotep, who takes his eyes and tongue while partially regenerating his own body. I like how they established that rule, though. I like that he stole the eyes of the guy that needs glasses. Surely that should have some sort of effect on the rest of the movie. Like, Emotep should be like, I can't really see well, but... <laughs> Nearsighted mummy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. Like, it's established in the movie that this guy can't see without his glasses, and now the mummy has his eyes. So... Like, at the end of this movie, when Emotep has to read from the Book of the Dead, and he's just like, I, I can't, <laughs> I don't have my glasses. Does anybody have glasses? spectacles that I could borrow? Uh, anyone have cheaters? Anyone? No? <laughs> Evelyn also crosses paths with Emotep, and he seemingly recognizes her as Anaxunamun. And she's like, I don't know who that is, but you're scary. I'm going to stand here. Luckily, Rick runs in. He's like, hey, we got to go. And then he turns. He's like, oh, that's a, that's a corpse that is walking towards us. Uh-huh. It's the last thing you want to see when you're in an underground city surrounded by corpses, Evil really. bugs. Yeah. So he does the natural thing. He shoots it, and then everybody runs away. Rick is not afraid to open fire on anything. That's true. And he has seemingly infinite ammo and also loose ammo in his pockets. The man is well stocked. He just reaches into his pockets, just pulls out a handful of ammo, and he's just like casually putting him into his six shooter as some are just falling to the ground. It's like, that seems important. I don't know why you're wasting (laughs) ammo on the ground because you had to just grab a handful. Clearly, he has plenty. I like that they even took the time to show us that he reloads because... Why? Well, it's great because he does reload, but then he fires a billion bullets. Right. But then they show him reloading again. It's like, that's a six shooter. I'm not an idiot. I know how to do math. You have two. I get that. That's still only 12. How are you doing this? Bang, 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 bang. Oh, got to put six more in there. So they get out of the catacombs and they run into Ardeth again and his group of Magi warriors. And he berates them for resurrecting Emotep. He's like, that's like the one thing I'm supposed to stop you from doing. Yeah, you weren't here, though. You've <laughs> never been here. You, you keep leaving. <laughs> now, nah, surely the desert will kill him. Uh, you know what? These guys will leave after tonight. And here we are. And he's like, well, now you guys have to leave the city until we can figure out how to kill this guy. So everyone leaves Mummyville except for Benny, who also encounters Emotep down in the catacombs but he successfully pleads for his life and becomes his slave. He successfully pleads for his life because he holds up a cross to him and starts saying <laughs> Christian prayers. And then he starts just going through different necklaces of religions until he finally gets to a Star of David. And that was the one that stopped him. He's like, oh, that one. <laughs> My mummy brains know that sounds you're making out of your mouth. Perfect. I guess you can join my cause. Good for Benny, I guess. I mean... I- it's resourceful, if nothing else, in his cowardice. Really is. Both groups of treasure hunters return to Cairo, and they're planning to leave Egypt. But Evelyn is like, hey, 
we released this curse. This is our fault. We have the responsibility to stay and stop Emotep. And Rick's like, he's invincible. Did you not hear all the, the stories about this guy? But also, doesn't Evie live here in Cairo? Is she this where has, her museum is? So nowhere to go. Like, oh, you guys are just going to leave me here with the crazy mummy. Okay, this seems right. Fine. Thanks, guys. You're real special. Enjoy America, dickheads. Just so you know, these plagues are coming for you eventually, too. Yeah, they are. Also, there's a super drunk, disillusioned World War I fighter pilot, Captain Winston Havelock, played by Bernard fucking Fox. Yep. And he just keeps stepping into this fountain and mumbling about how he suffers from serious survivor's guilt. He wants a new adventure, though. He wants to, like, prove himself that he shouldn't even be here anymore. He should be having the time of his life, but also dying. Exactly. He's like, I should have gone out in a blaze of glory back in WW1, which at that point they were just calling WW. That's right. The big one. <laughs> the big one. The war to end all wars. And that's when the next plague hits. All of the water in Cairo turns to blood. Or at least all the water in this room. All the water in this bar right here. <laughs> they do a shot and they're like, hey, that tasted like blood. And Brendan Fraser's like, he's here. I don't know why they waste this moment to have just, I don't know, maybe Jonathan. Jonathan loves to party. How like he sips it down and everyone else spits it out. And then like he just waits that extra beat and just goes, oh, <laughs> gross. Ew. <laughs> that would have been a really good That was good yucky. Bit. Guys, what was wrong with that? That tasted <laughs> different, I think. <laughs> it cut away to him just going. <laughs> Another just round, please. One extra sip. <laughs> the group deduces that Emotep will go after the four men who took the Book of the Dead and all the jars. Boy, that's lucky for the book that the jars are spread out among four different people, not just one person took all the jars. Super convenient. Seems to be a theme. Uh-huh. Benny has indeed brought Emotep to Cairo, helping him follow the Americans, because that's what Benny does. Rick and Jonathan track down the American whose eyes were stolen earlier, but instead, they just find his body just totally decomposed and not at all juicy. It's not juicy at all. It got, like, its life sucked out of it. Just straight up slurped up by <laughs> Emotep. imagine if Emotep left, a, like, a crazy straw. Like oh. in his dome, just poking <laughs> out the side of it. <laughs> I know exactly what happened to this guy. And that's where you get your juicy juice ad. Absolutely. And if you really want production side, you can put like a little foil thing over the, the hole in the head of it. So it's like a juice box. Like exactly. you're poking in there. Nailed it. It's perfect. So Rick and Jonathan find him, but they also find Emotep, who is just regenerating his own body. And they're like, that's not ideal. So Rick tries to kill him, but he's invulnerable to weapons. But luckily, dude is afraid of one thing. Cats. Yeah, Brian, just go ahead. Get it over with. Cinemacats.com. Uh-huh. When the mummy, Emotep, shows up and starts going for Evelyn, they hear some discordant notes playing on a piano. A white cat is walking across the keys. Emotep reacts with horror and evaporates. As it turns out, cats are guardians of the underworld, and they're told that Emotep will fear them until he is fully regenerated. To be continued. Oh, okay. Then we get a sweet exposition scene. Ardeth Bay is here, and so is Dr. Terrence Bay. No relation. Or is there? Who knows? Who knows? Because it turns out Dr. Terrence Bay is also part of the Medjai. He burned the map on purpose. Uh-huh. Which should have been obvious based on the way he did it earlier. In and that the way scene. he reacted to it. And the way he was like, oh, whoops, my bad. 
Not a big deal, though, because it's not real. Bye, guys. Also, his library's still fucked! <laughs> yeah, she definitely left without putting it back together. Without a doubt she did! So when Evie tells them that the mummy called her Anaxonomana... Just, that's good enough. Yep. The best you're gonna get right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he tried to kiss her. They're like, oh, damn, he both wants you and wants to kill you. It's a weird mixture, but some people are into that. And he's one of them. He's trying to resurrect his dead girlfriend from 3,000 years ago into your body, which is not ideal. No, it's not. Unless you're the mummy guy, in which case it's not a bad deal at all. No, also, you're right, but I have an issue with the mummy. Very quickly, I want to talk about this issue with the mummy. Okay. He's got a mission. Yes. And it is to get these jars, it is to get his body back, it is to resurrect the Noxinamore. How is he not blown away by the technology around him? Very one-track mind, I think. Buildings here, like I feel like they should have had that scene of him just standing there, going like, "What the? Whoa! Is this running water? Look at me, a mummy in the big city." <laughs> That's a movie I would watch. Mummy in the uh-huh, big city. Me too. <laughs> I'm not convinced that he knows exactly what's happening around him. I'm not convinced he knows what's actually happening around him. He's just kind of like very focused on getting those jars back. Got tunnel vision, man. Yeah, and he's got bad eyesight. Yes, he does. Probably. Maybe. We don't know. Most likely. Long story short, they need to stop Imhotep from becoming whole again, which happens once he retrieves everything from the box that the Americans opened. So Rick goes back to his room as the next plague starts, violent hailstorms ravaging the city. So he's got to get back inside where apparently there's no fireballs falling from the sky. Yep. He locks Evelyn in her room to keep her safe from Imhotep, ordering the remaining two Americans to stand guard while he and Jonathan leave to warn Dr. Chamberlain because he's carrying around the book like an idiot. He sure is. But instead, Rick and Jonathan find Benny in the doctor's chamber, so they throw a chair at him and start interrogating him. Doesn't even just throw a chair at him. He hurls this thing across the room and lands the shot dead on Benny. I love it. He pegs him with a chair. Honestly, who throws a chair? He treats it like a ground ball and wiffle ball, man. He doesn't hold back. Like, you get that one easy one to you, and they're running down the first. You're like, I finally get revenge on my big brother. I'm going to make him <laughs> eat this fucking wiffle ball. <laughs> Except it's a chair. That's right. So while they're interrogating Benny, they hear a scream out in the street, and they run out, and they witness Emotep killing Dr. Chamberlain in the streets, taking the black book, and releasing a swarm of flies. Out of his mouth. He just opens his mouth and flies come out. Just going, ah, and the opposite of juicy juice. That's what? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Flies are the opposite of juicy juice. You heard it here first. Okay, there you go, <laughs> I guess. Emotep proceeds toward Evelyn's room, consuming the body of the American on guard. The guy just wants some bourbon. He really does. He says he wants a bourbon, a full glass of it. Then he wants a bourbon chaser with a side of bourbon. It's like, we get it, bud. And also a shot of bourbon. Yep. And me sitting here, a bourbon lover who drinks bourbon all the time. Even I'm going, it's a bit much, bud. It was a bit much. It's a bit much. So Emotep goes full Flint Marco and pours his sandy ass into Evelyn's room through the keyhole. In the longest shot ever? It takes forever. They're like, all right, we've got this thing rigged up to spit sand through the keyhole. We're going to stay on the shot for a while. <laughs> We're going to waste a lot of film on this. But we got it. Good job, everybody. <laughs> so he gets into the room, reforms into like a humanoid shape, even though he's still not whole. He's got a weird mouth. And he goes to kiss Evelyn again. 
Why is everybody in this movie trying to kiss her against her will? It's not great. And now we go back to the cinema cats. Oh, good. We made it back. Because when Emotep sneaks into Evelyn's room and kisses her, Rick barges in and announces, look what I got, holding up the white cat. Emotep screams and again evaporates. While not named in the film, the cat's name in the original novel was Cleo. Oh, good. Final musings, cats don't tolerate the undead. (laughs) We knew that, though. We did know that. We've seen Constantine already. We know exactly what's happening here. They're the gateholders to the underworld. And realistically, Brendan Fraser's only a bathtub away. That's true. He's got the cat. He's... I think that's all you need. Just the cat. Just the cat. Cat in a bathtub. That's it. Evelyn has a sudden realization that if the Black Book of the Dead brought Emotek back to life, then the Gold Book of Amun-Ra certainly would kill this man who's been repeatedly referred to as immortal. Right. So you have this immortal man walking around, and your solution is to use a book that you don't even know exists yet. Right. Just the other book. It's a bold move. It is a bold move. So the group finds a tablet in the museum that describes the location of both books literally just written there in the language of the people who live there. And this is in the museum that that she she works works at. I guess nobody just ever read it before. I don't... Unbelievable. (laughs) Basically, it says that the gold book is buried beneath the statue of Horus. So guess what? It's plague time. Yes, it is. A large group of natives covered in boils and sores and under Emotep's spell, surround the museum. So our heroes all get into a car and start speeding away, but the remaining American is captured during the pursuit and consumed by Emotep, finally making him whole. So now we've lost the guy who just never wears his left sleeve. Exactly, and kind of good for Emotep because he took out all the expendable characters in this movie and not any of our real leads. So that's just lucky. It's very thoughtful of him to do that for plot reasons. Exactly. Cornered by his followers, the gang is forced to give up Evelyn in exchange for safe passage, vowing to rescue her as soon as their very busy schedules allow. I don't even think that they give her up. She gives herself up. And her reasoning is like, he's still got to take me to the place, to Mummyville. Like, we got time. Yeah. Hey, if if your minions don't attack my friends, I'll go with you. You know, it's fine. We'll figure it out. So she goes with them. But then, of course, Emotep's just like, hey, kill them all. I'm evil. How are they not grasped this yet? Just kidding about the whole letting you go thing, and all of his brainwashed followers just start attacking the main characters of the movie. Are you saying the bad guy of the movie is the bad guy of the movie? Yeah, he did a double cross, which nobody was expecting. Like, oh, I thought you had some sort of set of morals, you crazy Egyptian (laughs) ancient mummy who just became immortal a second ago. That's right. This adulterer of a mummy man, I guess, in the past is now just being just as moral now here in the present. Good for him. Which is also the past, 1923. It's complicated. (laughs) At least he's consistent. That's right. Dr. Bay sacrifices himself by holding back the crowd while the rest flee through the sewers. Even though he definitely could have gotten to the sewer. Oh, 100% he could have, but he was like, nope, this is where I go. I have to be ready for Mr. Deeds. He bought them like five extra seconds max, I'd say. Valuable Even seconds. though they also just stopped coming after them That's entirely. Because, you know, they left the frame. <laughs> Therefore, they're gone. <laughs> oh, the scene's over? We're not attacking them anymore? Cool. Seems to happen a lot in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, Jonathan, and Ardith enlist the help of Captain Havelock to fly them to Mummyville. I love Winston so much. He's so much fun. 
And I like that he's a little bit more sober now to fly the plane. He's just sitting on a sand dune drinking some coffee or tea. He's English. It's tea. It's tea. But Rick goes up to him and says, got a job for you. You're probably going to die. And he goes, I'm in. Awesome. Sign me up. That's exactly what I've been looking for. Emotep returns to Mummyville in a sandstorm carrying Evelyn and Benny while he's being chased by Havelock's plane. He's like, oh, that's a big sandstorm. I've never seen one that size. And I love Evie's reaction, too, because when they arrive in the sandstorm, she just gets, like, tossed out of it with Benny also. And she looks, she's like, oh, no, that happened way too fast for back. <laughs> I thought we had more time. Oh, no. Then Emotep uses his powers to cause a huge sandstorm in the shape of his face to attack Havelock's plane with everybody on board. Right. We've all seen the poster of this thing. We've seen the trailer and the poster. Everybody <laughs> knows about the giant face. Yep. It's the only thing I knew about the movie going in. It's just a giant CGI, not Billy Zane. This would have been the time to use Billy Zane, though, I feel like, if they had to. Like, would, gun to their head, you have to use Billy Zane. Do it here. I would love to see Billy Zane do that mouth move, because Emotep is on the ground just enacting what the cloud is doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think that would just be fun to see Billy Zane do. Yeah, I think you're right. Evelyn distracts him by kissing him, which apparently works on the ancient undead. It's weird to think that he gets, like, so into it that he forgets to stop the people chasing him because they left the frame. Oh, this is a good kiss. I'm just going to stop doing the thing that I was doing a second ago. Okay, movie. You know, you make the rules. Fine. You've set this tone of ridiculousness so far. Carry on. You're doing great. How funny would it have been if the giant face, as it was fading away, was, like, making out with the air? <laughs> <laughs> and you just see like a sand hand pop out and it starts reaching and he just goes no 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 <laughs> slaps it away are, are you sure are you sure you see the conversation happening in the sand face it would be perfect <laughs> so the giant sand cloud vanishes just long enough for winston to crash the plane yeah it's not what you want on there and the plane goes down the engine lights on fire and i really kind of do appreciate how he's just like yeah fuck it sand dunes here we go guess this is what's happening now and of course winston dies in the crash and he's the only one even though there's people literally tied to the wings yeah but he's also again an expendable character just thrown into this movie because it's full of them yes and it's the honorable death that he so desired good for him and i like how he lands in the quicksand and just starts sinking down the, the very conveniently placed quicksand <laughs> super convenient and brendan fraser salutes him uh-huh, which is nice. Yeah, he went out in his blaze of glory. Yes, he did. Rick, Jonathan, and Ardith enter Mummyville and discover a whole new area full of treasure. I don't know why, but whenever I see one of these scenes in a movie where, like, you have the treasure room, yeah, I get so excited, and I, I never understand why, because it's like, this is an enormous room that they're in. Yeah. You can't even see the end of it. It's totally full. And every single time, you're just like, oh, cool. I completely agree. I was like, oh, that's awesome. They found the room with all the cool stuff. Like Crystal Skull? I think it's awesome when they find the room. Yes. National Treasure? It's awesome when they find it. It's like, it's just a cool thing. Even when they're not looking for anything specific in the room, the, that the room exists is just like, oh, I love it. It's neat. They made it. They did it. They found the thing. Even though this wasn't the thing they were looking for right. ever in this movie, it was never about treasure. That's true, but also not true because it is about one piece of treasure for, at least for Evelyn. It's one specific piece of treasure one that is happened to stumble across the greatest find ever. Also, Jonathan totally grabs one of those scarabs 
And Rick has to cut it out of his shoulder and shoot it. Instead of stomping on it. Even though it probably would have gone through his boot, now I think about it. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because it did before. It could get through leather, I guess. But very susceptible to gunshots. So Rick, Jonathan, and Ardeth find themselves in a battle with Emotep's resurrected mummy priests. So they make their way to the Statue of Horus, where they find the Book of Amun-Ra. How about that? It's like, hey, that's exactly where it said it was, on the tablet at the museum. And how does Jonathan know what the Statue of Horus even looks like? Because he just goes, oh, Horus, old boy. It's there pretty well, you are. I agree. It's been pretty well established that he does not know anything about Egyptian anything. He's not the guy. Until he has to. Exactly. Now, it's fine. I'm, I'm willing to overlook it. It's fine. <laughs> but then the group gets cornered by these priests. So Ardith sacrifices himself to allow Rick and Jonathan to escape. What a guy. Finally did his job. Now it's way too late. Kind of. I, I think his job is still to guard. But he's like, I'm going to stop these guards. <laughs> that becomes a funny five thought of the Holy Grail situation. Well, that'd be weird. You told me to guard the guard. <laughs> a strange scenario. While all of this is happening, Emotep has resurrected the mummified remains of Anaxunamon and is preparing to sacrifice Evelyn. And that's when Rick and Jonathan show up, and Rick fights off a whole group of mummies while Jonathan reads the inscription on the cover of the Book of Amun-Ra in an attempt to kill Emotep. Is this the scene where Anaxinamor wakes up from being all zombified, or whatever it is, and is like lying there on the slab next to Evie, and Evie's freaking out about it? Yes. So that happens, and it made me confused, to put it lightly, because he's trying to bring her back, but he's clearly kind of brought her back already? As like a zombie? Yeah. And that's fine. Rick and Jonathan show up, and then they just start climbing all over this mummy zombie that's there. <laughs> and it's not moving at all anymore. And yeah, it was it's... noticeable how much it wasn't moving because of how much it was seconds ago. Right. It's one minute, it's a very wiggly mummy, and the next minute, not so much. But our heroes have arrived. Yes. And Jonathan reading the inscription on the cover of the Book of Amun-Ra, instead of killing Emotep, Summons a group of mummified guards. Yeah, not great. And they immediately go after Rick, and Evelyn is being attacked by the now alert and awake and upright Anaxinamon. Also not great. Not what you want. So as Evie is fighting Anaxinamon, she asks Jonathan to finish reading the inscription. She doesn't ask, she tells, she yells, go finish the inscription. And he goes, okay. And then he just takes the book elsewhere like to the quiet area <laughs> like just read it here the reading Nobody's coming after you read it here and he's like wandering around this entire tomb or whatever it is reading any place he can it's like stop moving jonathan <laughs> just i love read i love that he shouts to her like i don't know what this one means and she's like describe it while she's fighting this zombie princess and he's able to say it's a bird oh it's a stork i can tell exactly what it is i just don't know what the word is I'm really good at identifying one specific type of bird and also the statue of Horus. Other than that, I'm useless. <laughs> well, the baby in the beak really gave it away. <laughs> That's true. Those Egyptians, they, they had the whole swaddle and bundle underneath it as they flew. <laughs> it's like we know and love. Either that or it's selling pickles. That's right. <laughs> What's this one with the stork? Vlasic! <laughs> oh, okay. It turns to the camera and winks. <laughs> <laughs> the 
that would finally surpass the Cheerios moment. Uh-huh. That would be so perfect. <laughs> so Jonathan finally finishes reading the inscription, granting him command of these guards just before they're about to kill Rick. And he's like, hey, you guys got to attack her instead, pointing to Anak Sanamon. And I love the inscription that he has to read because he makes it such a big production of trying to translate these words. And the words he has to translate, it's just two of them, but he has to repeat them. That's it. <laughs> and he didn't know what half of them were. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's useless. He knew one of the two words. I love that he is holding the book that can defeat the bad guy. And instead of going after him, Emotep's like, oh, now I really got to fight Rick. But I also don't understand how this works because the cover of the book has a bunch of writing on it. Yes. But then inside the book has a bunch of writing on it. And we're going to get there in a second. Yes. But how do they know, like, no, if you read the cover of this book, you're going to gain control over the mummies. Like, where is that written as a rule? I don't know, because I feel like Evie read the whole cover of the Black Book, and she did not have control of those ones. No, she, in fact, unleashed a literal demon. So, I don't know where they're getting their facts from, but she didn't even know where this thing was located, and the directions were written down at work. On an artifact. In her museum. (laughs) And it wasn't even that she had to, like, go digging for it. It was a giant pillar on the top of the stairs. (laughs) Oh, I never read this thing before. Look at that. It's got the instructions to my life's work. (laughs) Uh, Dream a little bigger. (laughs) Or actively try to chase your dream. Don't just be okay, kids. Adventure is out there if you're looking for it. Exactly. But if you're too busy knocking over bookshelves, I guess <laughs> you won't find it. And not cleaning up your mess. Wasn't it Indy said that if you want to be a real archaeologist, you got to get out of the library? Get out of the library. There you go. Go into Great the, advice. Go into the adjacent room and read the thing. That's right. Read the wall. <laughs> I just imagined her licking the wall and saying the snozzberries. Snoz- tastes like snozzberries. <laughs> and just having... <laughs> Rachel wants to deliver that line somehow. She managed to deliver the line, I'm a librarian, with so much gusto earlier. <laughs> Drunk that, Yeah, gusto. she could probably pull it off. Yeah, I, I could see it. She would have a new life purpose, though. After that? <laughs> Gotta find the snozberries. <laughs> if only I knew where to look. You'd <laughs> be like the weirdest archaeologist ever. Instead of using a brush to clear all the dust away, she just starts licking it. <laughs> just like a... Just... <laughs> That tasted like a stork. (laughs) These tablets are (laughs) dirt-flavored. So while Emotep is attacking Rick, Jonathan and Evelyn finally open the Book of Amun-Ra because, again, it uses the same key as the other two things they've already unlocked. And I love when they open this book, they do start flipping pages to look for the right Page. You gotta get to the right golden Which, page. With... I don't know what that even entails at this point. I like that Jonathan's looking on like he can read any of it. Let me know if the stork comes up again. I'm gonna nail it. Emotep is about to kill Rick when Evelyn recites the counter curse. And Emotep's immortal soul is taken from him by a giant ghost chariot. Which, for a lot of this movie, looking pretty good with the CGI. This is what they do, and it looks (laughs) like dog shit. It's not great. There's a lot of things that happen in this movie that you're like, yeah, ILM did that. This one, I don't even know what to say about this one. This was done on Photoshop for why? That's that's just for pictures. (laughs) 
What are they doing? <laughs> Cinderella has to get to the ball, and she needs Emotep's soul. It looks horrible. I can never get over how bad it looks. Yeah, and this is like the climactic moment of the movie, and they're like, yeah, so a chariot's going to come in and just take his soul from him. That's the best that you got? Hold on a second. <laughs> it's a ghost chariot. Ooh. Not better? No? Ah, print it! Print. We'll fix it in post. We're not going to fix it in post. Uh, Brendan, uh, I know that you hated my ghost chariot idea. I just wrote in this scene where we hang you. <laughs> so we're going to shoot that tomorrow. You good with that? Good? All right. <laughs> also, your stunt double's got dysentery, so I need you to do it. It's because of all those ox you're addicted to. That's right. <laughs> so now that Emotep's soul has been stolen by the chariot, he becomes mortal just as Rick stabs him, which is, again, super convenient. And then Emotep immediately rapidly decays into a mummy again, falling into, like, a puddle or a pool that's in this room. And he's like, ah, I'll get you next time, Gadget. <laughs> but he couldn't do that, mostly because Claw's got a cat. Claw does have a cat. Good call. So it's actually nothing like that. Other than just vowing to get revenge. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Benny, who's been dragging treasure outside this whole time, accidentally sets off an ancient booby trap. And Dave, I have another actual IMDb trivia fact. Oh, goody. In one scene, Benny is shown with a sack full of gold, which he's trying to load onto a camel. Benny pulls the camel by the reins, but the camel doesn't budge. The camels all, for some reason, hated Kevin J. O'Connor. Yeah, that's what it must have been. <laughs> Is that they picked this guy out and said, fuck that guy. Camels unite. Let's not <laughs> let this guy pull us. All of the camels were like, fuck that guy and his tiny mustache. That's right. It is a very tiny mustache, but fezzes are cool. Fezzes are cool. I just read an actual IMDb trivia fact, which means now I have to read a caped trivia fact. Dan Aykroyd has two Ys in his last name. He sure does. We discovered that last week, and it blew my mind so badly that I had to immortalize it here in The Mummy. It is a very good mummy trivia fact that Dan Aykroyd has two Ys in his last name. So many Ys. Why so many Ys? How'd they not get him to do a commercial for Wise Potato Chips? I feel like, like it's just there asking for it. And it would help people remember how to spell his last name. Exactly. So as the entirety of Mummyville begins to collapse into the sand, Rick, Evelyn, and Jonathan race toward the exit. Jonathan accidentally drops the gold book of Amun-Ra, which is like the whole purpose of why they were there. And then Benny gets trapped in the collapsing city slash temple slash tomb, whatever you want to call it, because of his greed. He's like, I need more gold. But the whole time, Rick is still trying to help him all the way to the bitter end because Rick's a good dude. And Benny just sucks. Benny sucks so hard. And the whole movie, they keep talking about how he's going to get his comeuppance, and then it finally happens. It finally happens. And it feels so good when it happens. After all of Mummyville collapses around him, he's trapped in the treasure room. And his torch goes out as he's being surrounded by the flesh-eating scarabs. And then we just hear him get lit up. It's great. It really is. I like how many times in this movie, Brendan Fraser gets to say, goodbye, Benny. It's a lot. It's at least three or four times. It's great. Rick, Evelyn, and Jonathan escape before Mummyville disappears into the sand. And Ardiff, who has unexpectedly survived and just been hanging out outside on a camel... <laughs> He's like, hey, guys, welcome to the party. 
Uh, I was guarding out here <laughs> oh, while you, you were doing all the stuff in there. You guys I didn't. were inside fighting the guy that I'm supposed to be so concerned about. Like that's. Oh, uh, I thought you said meet outside at two o'clock. Oh, uh, so the fighting outside because the weather was so nice. <laughs> uh, dry, hot. It's my forecast. Yep, get that fresh air. You've been <laughs> in the tombs all day. Jonathan laments that they went through all of that and they didn't even get any treasure. And Rick is like. I don't know about all that, and he and Evie do the kiss, because the real treasure was the love we found along the way. Right, and Rick also just kind of shoves it in Jonathan's face, like, watch me make out with your sister the whole camel ride back. (laughs) And as they all ride off into the sunset on their camels, the glint of the treasure that Benny had been busy stealing catches the camera. So actually, it turns out that the real treasure was the treasure after all. The real treasure was the treasure the whole time. (laughs) And that is The Mummy from 1999, directed by Steven Summers. It's a ridiculous movie. It is. But damn it, is it fun? Obscene, but it is a blast. I guess we shouldn't really be all that upset about things happening for convenience sake, because, again, we wanted to talk about The Mummy, because it is kind of Indiana Jones adjacent in a way. Yeah. Well, it keeps the same, I guess, sensibilities. To an extent, I agree with that, yeah. Is it as much fun, would you say? It's a different kind of fun. In what way? I think it's more goofy and wacky. Whereas Indiana Jones is more grounded in reality because of the aliens and the ripping of out of the heart. And the, exactly. And the ghost knight and the melting faces. <laughs> I think it comes down to Brendan Fraser versus Harrison Ford. I think that's very, very fair. They're very different actors. Yes, which gives a whole different feel to the movie because that's, I mean, that's who you're watching. That's who you're rooting for. Exactly. And I feel like Rick makes it a little tough to root for him sometimes. Yes. Mostly because he's not an archaeologist or a treasure hunter or whatever. He's kind of just here because Evie saved his ass. Right, right. He feels like he owes her one. And then at some point, I guess he went, you're a girl. I'm a guy. Should we? Should we do the thing? (laughs) Hey, I'm the lead and you're the girl of the movie. You know what we should do? Just more convenient stuff. That's all Super convenient. (laughs) Now we still have... A few caped trivia facts here, or at least what I suspect are caped trivia facts. <laughs> I hope that some of these are just like, some rando's going to be listening to this like, ah, oh, that was real. <laughs> no, I that, really meant it. That actually happened. <laughs> what do you got? Brendan Fraser whittled a dessert canoe between scenes. I, I'm upset that I typed that one on my phone and it changed desert to dessert. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Because the thought of a desert canoe is ridiculous. So is a dessert canoe, really. I guess so. (laughs) I just pictured him whittling like a giant ice cream bowl. That would keep him cool in the desert, that's for sure. Yeah, that seems useful. What else you got? All right, this might be my favorite one. When Emotep feels under the weather, his mummy gives him Barry Dimatap to get him back on his feet. Yep, it's true, though. It's completely true. That's exactly what happens. Next up, we have the role of Emotep was played by Arnold Vosloo, a South African actor of Dutch and German ancestry. In contrast, the vast majority of ancient Egyptian chancellors were historically of Egyptian descent. <laughs> it's also true. Completely correct. That one's not me. No? Okay. That's, nope. I love that it. That is a listener. In 1999's The Mummy, Brendan Fraser plays a character that is part of a group that accidentally brings an evil mummy back to life. Contrarily, in 1992's Encino Man, Brandon Fraser 
made his acting lead debut as a good-hearted caveman who is accidentally brought back to life. Shockingly, in the mid-2000s, <laughs> Fraser's career died for nearly a decade, but recently his career has been brought back to life in what fans are calling the Fraser Sense. <laughs> Derek Ives, well done. I love it. That's all I have. You missed one. I Oh, no. Yeah, someone wrote in and told me what they wrote. All right. Brendan Fraser and the cast of The Mummy never wear any branded clothing throughout the film. Costume designer John Bloomfield chose to use homemade clothing that would look appropriate for the 1923 setting before apparel companies like Banana Republic, 1978, Gap, 1969, or Nike, 1964, were founded. That sounds too real. I never would have found that. Yeah, Phil Hawkins. He made it blend right in. Wow. And people are going to love that fake fact. <laughs> Another direction you could go, and when everyone writes in as they should, a hundred percent, as we take over IMDb, people are going to think that facts. one's real. Oh yeah, they are. But I guess next question I have for you, Brian. Rotten Tomatoes, one hundred. What are you thinking? Ooh, uh, seventy-five, sixty-one. But the audience score is seventy-five. Oh hell yeah! Roger Ebert saw this movie. He gave it three out of four stars. Okay. He says. There is within me an unslaked hunger for preposterous adventure movies. I resist the bad ones, but when a Congo or an Anaconda comes along, my heart leaps up and I cave in. The Mummy is a movie like that. There is hardly a thing I can say in favor except that I was cheered by nearly every minute of it. I cannot argue for the script, the direction, the acting, <laughs> or even The Mummy, but I can say that I was not bored, and sometimes I was unreasonably pleased. There is a little immaturity stuck away in the crannies of even the most judicious of us, and we should treasure it. It sounds like, first of all, Roger got his thesaurus out. Yeah, he went with the big words. And all to say, like, hey, this isn't a good movie, but I loved it. Well, he goes farther with it, because this is the, the proper sandwich. The last thing he says is, look, art, this isn't. <laughs> Great trash, it isn't. Good trash, it is. It's not quite up there with Anaconda. But it's as much fun as Congo and The Relic, and it's better than Species. If those four <laughs> titles are not intimately familiar to you, The Mummy might not be the place to start. That's amazing. Could you imagine if they took that quote and put it on the poster? That would be amazing. <laughs> the Mummy. It's, Good trash? It is. It's not quite Anaconda. Roger Ebert. <laughs> I didn't realize how much he loved Anaconda or Congo, I, though. No idea. Do you want to hear what our good friends on Letterboxd had to say about this thing? Absolutely. From May 25th, 2020, I like that the mummy's number one superpower is the ability to make his lower jaw like two feet long. <laughs> that is fun. What a power. He could eat anything. It's true. Joey Chestnut, you look out. The mummy's <laughs> coming for your record M or whatever. Mummy's like a ton of hot dogs. I could do it in one bite. One bite. Better not use those. Flies in his mouth, though, to help. Oh, that's cheating. Against the rules. Nathan will get you. Hey, those flies are eating the hot dogs, not Emotep. <laughs> From May 6th, 2021, the third best Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> that's funny. It is funny. I like that. Not wrong, I think. Depends on how you're ranking them, I guess. I don't know. That's <laughs> fair. I think it's probably <laughs> not as good as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Better than Temple of Doom? I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I sit on that one. There's your thing that you can ponder when we're done with this one. Yeah. 
from October 8th, 2018. And this is a really interesting thread that was actually going on throughout Letterboxd. Rachel Wise be like, hello, LGBT community. <laughs> okay. And the next one I have is from August 9th, 2018. If I didn't know I was bi, this would have been my awakening. Apparently, the ladies loved Rachel Weisz in this movie. That's awesome. I love it. And a lot of ladies also love Brendan Fraser in this movie, but it was like noticeable how many ladies were all up on the Rachel train. I get it. You got a strong female there. They dumb her down, but she doesn't take it for the most part. Yeah, except for when they do her dirty in the script area. She's that's a lot of the area. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty big part of the movie, but it is. It just blew my mind. That was a thread. I wasn't ready for that thread. That's fascinating. And I love it. Now, that's what I have from March 21st, 2021. I said to my parents, the mummy is like an Indiana Jones movie, but better and with a hotter lead. And they proceeded to shout at me for the next five minutes. And now I think they've disowned me. <laughs> <laughs> And that's good parenting, that's, if I've ever heard it. Yeah, I mean. Because you said some nonsense, and they put you in your place. There'll be no hot takes in my house. Your sister had a hot take when she said Pierce Brosnan was the best Bond. Look where she's at now. <laughs> Wait, I had a sister? Exactly! Ah, <laughs> oh, you want to give this thing a super stuff score? Yeah, let's do it. Start off with story and motivation. Who's motivation? Rick gets his life saved, feels like he owes a girl something. She's just looking for the golden book of Amun-Ra, and then she like doesn't really care about it once they find it. And they just find each other for reasons. And the whole time, they accidentally released a mummy and are being chased. <laughs> right. Um, point two five. Point two five. Mostly for the story, because, yeah, that's fine. That's good enough. It's a little bit ridiculous, but, you know. It's a lot a bit ridiculous, yeah. It's there. Hero. Rick? Uh, I like the question mark because same. I have no idea. Whoever the hero is, they save the day, but they only save the day because, weirdly enough, they made the mess and they cleaned it up, unlike what Evie did in the library. Correct. And Rick didn't even want to clean it up. He was just like, all right, bye. And she was like, come on, we got to clean this up. I'll go point two five. <laughs> they really did make a huge mess of they this made a entire situation. Huge mess. All because. Reading is dangerous. Reading is hard. Unless it's a stork. Unless it's a stork. But like if it's like a, a tablet right outside of your office and it's just on display in a museum and you never read it. And instead you just say it has pretty pictures on it instead of the language that you can read that you've bragged about reading the entire movie. That? Yeah. 0.25. <laughs> Villains. The mummy's mean. The mummy's very mean. And he kills a lot of people and he summons plagues and he's pretty immortal until he's not i like this mummy pretty cool mummy he starts out juicy and then he becomes solid <laughs> that's pretty cool he opens his mouth real big and lets out bugs so that's pretty cool yeah and he does surprisingly well for having a blind person's eyes also true i'll go 0.5 i'm penalizing because it's not billy zane <laughs> minus 0.25 for not being the guy we relentlessly made fun of in other movies Yep. Parents? Teamwork? What are we doing here? Zero. Yep. <laughs> That's what we're doing here. If, yeah, if it's Rick's parents, we know nothing. Right? And if it's teamwork, they did a bad job. They were not good at it. They nope. Did, they did bad teamwork. Zero. Female characters. I like Evie quite a bit. 
Yeah. She's a very interesting character. I think she's very, like, perky. Okay. And Rick is very kind of reserved until he's not. Until he's not Brendan Frasering all over the screen. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. But I like how much she shows off how smart she is. Yeah. And she repeatedly does it, too. Except for when they intentionally dumb her down for scenes. Exactly. And that I'm not going to fault the character on. I'll fault the director on because I think he does a shitty job. And let's not forget how many times she was kissed against her will. Uh, Let's go 0.5. We should factor that in a little bit. (laughs) And then she's like the only one. She is like the only one except for the one who stabbed herself early on. She's the only clothed character, female character in the movie. Exactly. 0.5. Feels generous. Feels real generous. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to setting. In the desert. It's a desert. It, I mean, what else do you want? It's a desert. It sure feels like a desert. I mean, I can tell it's not Egypt. It's definitely Marrakesh, but, you know. That's I, only you, though. We, we can't ever pull the wool over your eyes when it comes to Marrakesh. <laughs> oh, I, I always look, no, I know that that's Marrakesh for sure. I'm going to go 0.25. It's just a desert. There's so much sand. Fine. It's not terribly interesting to look at. No, even but, like the sets yeah. that are supposed to be impressive are just kind of like, yeah, okay. I see, yeah. I see what you're doing yeah. here. They tried. 0.25. Style and tone. I think this movie looks really good for 1999. I think it looks pretty good for 1999. I think it looks very yellow for any movie ever. I completely agree with you there. But when Brendan Fraser's fighting the mummies in the tomb at the climax of this movie before the, the ghost chariot comes. Oh, yeah. He's doing it against CGI characters. And, and he's, it works. Yeah, there was actually... I guess the animators were super impressed when they got all the re- the film because they were like, oh, he's nailing this every take and he's making our job real easy. Teamwork makes the dream work again. Brendan Fraser. I'm going to go 0.5 because, yeah, the yellow. Yeah. I mean, like, like even Coldplay would be like, ah, a bit much. <laughs> Our one Coldplay joke. <laughs> 0.5 for style and tone. Music. It's there. It's Jerry Goldsmith, the the guy who does so much music. Yep, he does so much. And and maybe he should do a little bit less so he can focus on some of it. Wouldn't that be something instead of just writing generic stuff? This, uh, there's nothing here. I don't remember anything from this except for the one scene that kind of sounded like it was going to be Night on Bald Mountain, but wasn't. Zero. Zero for music. One-liners. I just watched this and nothing's coming to mind. Right? And in my heart, I know they're in there. I just can't think of any of them. We kind of got to go zero if we can't think of them. That's a problem. That is. I guess it's zero for one-liners. And then finally, we get to impact on the genre. And I'll start out by saying it did make back five times its production cost. Yeah, this thing absolutely cleaned up. It's an $80 million movie. It made $415 million worldwide. Wow. And it has its own franchise now. Yeah, it spawned two sequels, The Mummy Returns in 2001, Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor in 2008, has an animated TV series that lasts two seasons, a prequel slash spinoff in The Scorpion King, which also now has four sequels of its own, the Tom Cruise 2017 reboot, two video games, and just to top it all off with a cherry, a Universal Studios theme park ride, which I've seen more times than the movie. I don't know how we don't go one. It's hard not to. Especially when you get a theme park ride. Exactly. We're going to give it a one for impact on the genre, which is going to bring the total score to a 3.25. Yeah, I'm okay with that for some reason. It it feels like we did the movie dirty, but also Uh maybe the movie did itself (laughs) a little dirty. 
It's true. It's all arbitrary. It's still Don't enjoyable. Forget. It's you know, it's a fun three two five. Exactly. If not a little long. So Brian, I guess the next question is, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we're finally out of January. It's time to get back to superhero movies, and we're doing it in spectacular fashion with the MCU. We're talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp? And the Wasp. She's here, too. I've never seen it. I know, and I'm very excited because Ant-Man's fun. I love Paul Rudd, and I love Ant-Man. I can't see how this combo doesn't work again. That's true, in theory. But there are a lot of people that this is not highly ranked on their MCU list. So I didn't know that Ant Man gets a lot of weird stuff because people uh, are like, "He's got I knew silly that part powers." Of it. <laughs> so right. But until then, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, join us on Patreon this month for Groundhog Day, and next month we're doing Blues Brothers. Hell yes, we are. If you have any questions or comments for us, send them over to KatePodcasters at Gmail dot com and follow us on social media at KatePodcasters. We're everywhere. If you look it up, you'll find us. If you can't find us, let us know. We're going to get there, too. Exactly. Also, don't forget to submit your IMDb trivia facts on IMDb. Do it early. Get them approved. You see the calendar when it goes up. We're taking over, baby. (laughs) The DB now stands for Dave and Brian. That's right. And we're going to make that official. Maybe an Ant-Man and the Wasp. I'll try to see if I can get that approved. All right. (laughs) The internet movie Dave and Brian. Perfect. (laughs) Really plant our flag. I can't wait. (laughs) You got anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys next week for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Same pod time. Same pod. Goodbye, Benny. Goodbye.